world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Scripture for today is Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. And if you are reading from the Black Pew Bibles, it should be on page 998. So when you're ready, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Thank you. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, And in your teachings show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, thank you for uh, worshiping with us this morning. Uh, March 19th, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Titus. And as you see, we're still in Titus chapter 2. And what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be zeroing in specifically on verses 3, 4, and 5. Um, Last week, we looked at this idea of grace-fueled behavior, the fact that God, when he saves us, he transforms us by the power of his grace, then we are to go forward as grace-transformed people, exhibiting in our behavior the very grace that has saved us. So if you remember last week, um, when we called it grace-fueled behavior, part one, um, we looked at how when God transforms the lives of men by their grace. It means something for them in their manhood, in the way that they live as males in this world designed um, by God. And so now this morning what we're going to do is we're going to zoom in specifically, like I said, on verses 3, 4, and 5, and we're going to look at what grace-fueled behavior looks like for women who have been transformed by God's saving grace. So I'm going to hit pause. We're going to pray. And then we're going to turn our attention to God's word this morning. Why don't you guys join me in prayer? God, you are good. By your design, you have created us to be instruments in your hand that bring you much glory and honor by the way we live our lives. 
the good news of your grace means something for us as men and the good news of your grace means something for us as women. I pray, God, that today you would take the words out of my mouth and you would press them deep into our hearts, not so that we would just be hearers of your word only, but so that we would walk out of having been hearers of your word fueled by your power than to go be doers of your word as well. Spirit, help us. In the mighty name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, For the most part in our daily lives and in the lives of those around us, we typically see the connection between what we believe and how we behave. So, for instance... Because we believe in the concept of gravity, we don't go skydive without a parachute, right? We believe if you jump out of a plane, you will rapidly start moving towards the face of the earth, and so that drives your behavior. You will jump out of a plane with a parachute to help fight the laws of gravity. Or because we believe that a truck or a car runs on gasoline, you're going to periodically stop and fill the tank. You're not just going to pump that gas full of tank, and then just take off assuming gas is always going to be there. The fact that you put some in, it goes down, is going to cause you to go to the gas station every now and then and fill up your tank. What you believe in that instance drives your behavior. And like I said, for most people in our lives, we understand this connection. We see the link between what we believe and how we behave. But we have also seen, or maybe we've just personally experienced for ourselves, the disconnect that can take place at times between what we believe and how we behave. And so for us as Christians, maybe we've seen this disconnect take place. Or maybe we've felt the disconnect between belief and behavior in our lives. So we believe that Jesus alone is our only hope of salvation. And that people who die apart from trusting in Christ alone will spend an eternity apart from God. We believe that. But a lot of the times that belief, we see the disconnect between our behavior and actually going out and telling people, showing them Jesus, calling them to trust and rest in Jesus alone. Or we believe this, that the Bible is how we grow in God. If you want to know what it looks like to be a man or a woman who walks in a manner that is in accord with the gospel God has given us, the Bible, we believe that. It is his word, his revelation to us. It's the guide, the rule book, if you want to talk about it in that language, that shows us how we can be honoring to God but because we believe that sometimes we see the connect and the fact that we just don't read it and we don't give ourselves over to it so there's a very real possibility for us in our lives to have a belief but somehow in some way that belief has become disconnected from our behavior and it's this possibility of disconnect that can take place in the lives of believers that is driving Paul as he writes Titus chapter 2 and so when we turn our attention to our text this morning we find that Titus has been given a task from the apostle Paul for the Christians in Crete Titus is to make plain the indissoluble link between what we believe about God's grace and how his grace affects our everyday behavior. 
In God's grand plan, there is a way of behaving that is fitting for God's people. And what's beautiful is that God's plan for the behavior of his grace-transformed people is for them to actually be a proclamation of God's grace because of the way they simply live their lives. See, there's something very compelling about a grace-transformed life which exudes grace-fueled behavior according to God's design. When you see a man or a woman walking according to God's design, fueled by God's grace that they have received and believed and have seen transform them, when you step back and just sort of gaze at the panorama of this man or of this woman who are absolutely consumed with the good news that Jesus Christ has saved them, and they recognize that God has designed me to be a certain way, to be a man or to be a woman, when they begin to see how those things connect together and understand God's design for them as a man, God's design for them as a woman, and then they go to the scriptures and go, God's grace informs me, it shows me, it compels me, it tells me this is what it looks like to live out God's design as a man for your life or to live according to God's design as a woman. And so in essence, what Paul is doing when he turns to the believers in Crete, he's just highlighting the effect of God's grace on a particular area of God's design. He zooms in on our maleness and our femaleness. Older women, younger women, older men, younger men. He's bringing it down to the categories of just sort of two universal realities, age and gender. And he's basically going to sit here and tell them there is a way that we are to walk in light of God's grace in our lives as it relates to age and as it relates to gender. So last week we saw that the good news of God's grace, it really does have something to say about manhood. That's what we concentrated on last week. We said that older men and younger women, they are to behave in certain ways as men, knowing that their grace-fueled behavior displays the power of God in their life to a world around them. And just as this is true for men, it is just as equally true for women. The good news of God's grace really does have something to say about womanhood. And that's where we're going to begin this morning as we just zoom in, like I said, on verses 3 through 5. Paul is going to turn our attention to grace-fueled behavior for women. That's what we're going to see here in verses 3 through 5. Now, if you're paying attention um, and you're reading some of the phrases in here, there are some phrases in here that cause us to bristle up. And the idea here is that Paul is not writing this merely to just be um, arrogant. He's not writing this to foist new rules, new laws onto people. But what he's doing, remember, is he's calling Titus to say, Brother, as you cling to the gospel, go into this church and help them make the connection between God's grace in their life and how that affects them in their maleness and their femaleness. So when you turn your attention to verse 3, Paul gets right at it. He addresses the older women of the church. Titus is to go in and be a teacher, verse 1. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. 
that teaching is to affect the older women in the church. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. They're to teach what is good. So as Paul shifts his attention to the women of the church, notice that the theme of self-control continues on. So last week, that's what we said. Paul highlights elders, leaders, pastors in the church to be self-controlled. Older men, be self-controlled. Young men, be self-controlled. In this theme of self-control, it continues on. So the older women and the younger women, they're also to be self-controlled. So first he says the older women are to control what comes out of their mouth. They're not to be slanderers. The idea behind the word slanderer here is the word diabolos which gives us the English word devil, right? So when you see in your Bible, the Bible referencing the devil, what it's talking about is the slanderer himself. But here Paul is saying that when God's grace gets a grip on a mature woman in age, it's going to do something to the way she actually uses the words coming out of her mouth. So Paul says a mature woman in Christ, she will not be devilish in her speech. She has control over her words. And when she speaks the truth, she speaks it in love. She is Christ-like in her speech. She is not Satan-like in her speech. Accusing, being untruthful, slanderous, and falsely accusing. And then second, he says, not only are older women to be in control, showing self-control on what comes out of their mouth, but they're also to show self-control on what goes into their mouth. They're not to be slaves to much wine. So as God's grace transforms this older woman of God, she walks as a woman filled with the Spirit. She's not filled with wine. And because her heart has been transformed by God's grace, she uses her words not for false accusation. Instead, she uses her words for good instruction. This is how she's going to be reverent in behavior, Paul says, as she uses her words to teach what is good. Now, notice that there is a ripple effect that is to take place as a result of God's grace gripping the heart of an older woman. And as she guards what goes in her mouth and out of her mouth, there's going to be a ripple effect of godliness that begins to work its way throughout the church. Good teaching from Titus is going to lead to more good teaching from the older women. As Titus teaches what accords with sound doctrine, verse 1, to the mature, godly, older women, they in turn are to go out and teach what is good, becoming those who train the young women. That's what he says here as he shifts from verse 3 into verse 4. In effect, Paul is laying out a discipleship plan for women in the church. That's what he's doing. Think about this. I don't know if you remember um, as a little child, um, I remember going out to my grandparents' farm, and they have two ponds, one they call the swimming pond and one they call the fishing pond. Uh, But if you were to walk up the back hill and you go up the big big levee that's holding in the pond, um, what's beautiful about it is it's just sort of nestled like in this grove of evergreen trees. And so it's not uncommon 
on a warm summer afternoon, if you're there visiting my grandma and grandpa as a little kid, to walk up there. And because it's just sort of nestled away and there's just not a lot of breeze blowing, that that little pond would just be smooth as glass. I mean, you could just sort of get down a little bit, and you could just see. I mean, it's just reflecting the sky. It's reflecting the scenery around there. I mean, it looks like someone had came and just polished a sheet of glass and just laid it right out there into the middle of the forest that lays right out back behind my my grandparents' home. Now, as a little kid, what's the one thing you want to do when you walk up there and you see a pond that's just shimmering like that? Man, it's like, I need to find the biggest thing around here, and I need to throw it into that pond. Like, right? And so... I'm example number one, exhibit A. So you go grab something. What do you do? You chuck it out there into the pond, and it smacks into the middle of the pond, and what starts happening? Ripples, 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 ripples. So what Paul is saying is, Titus, when you go into that church, brother, you need to grab gospel-shaped stones, and you need to keep dropping these babies right into the middle of the church. You need to go into that church. You need to point them to the grace that can be found with God. Drop that stone. Go in there and preach about the peace that can be found with God through Jesus Christ the Savior. Go in there and proclaim the hope of eternal life found in Jesus Christ. Proclaim the crucifixion of Christ. Proclaim the resurrection of Christ. Proclaim the power of God's grace to transform people. Drop that stone. Drop that stone. Drop that stone. Drop that stone over and over again. Cling to the good news of God's grace that he saves sinners in Jesus Christ alone. And as you do this, Titus, it will have ripple effects of godliness within the church. It will change the hearts of people, specifically older women will be transformed by God's grace. And as they are transformed by God's grace, the ripple effect of the gospel in them is to go out as they teach and model Jesus to the younger women in the church. Well, we can ask the question, what good teaching did Paul have in mind? What content was to be taught and modeled for these young women? We see that there at the end of verse 3. They are to teach what is good. They're to train the young women. Like, well, what, what, like what's sort of the, the curriculum that they're supposed to be going about? Well, that's what the rest of verses 4 and 5 is. There's six things that these older women are to be about as God's grace in them ripples outward to the younger women in the church. You see them there starting in verse 4. Older women are to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. So young women are to first love their husbands and children. The older women are to come alongside them and show them, teach them, train them, model for them. Have conversations with them about what it looks like to love their husbands and children. I don't have this in my notes, but it's just sort of a side thought. It's interesting. Like, right, in our culture, we so often say this. Like, right, we fall into love. It's just something we sort of just stumble into. It's this emotional thing. But here in the scriptures, it's teaching this. Love for a husband is something that is trainable. Like, right, eventually the emotion is going to wane away. When your husband's just being a knucklehead and like your kids are acting up and you're like, Wanda, you know, like boot him into next year. 
that you're not in love. The emotion that we describe as love is not guiding you in that moment. So that's what Paul says. He's like, listen, come on. This is something that we don't fall into. No, older women, you have walked this path longer than the younger women. You have experienced God's grace in your life in this way, in regard to husband, in regard to family. So come alongside the younger women and show them, train them what it looks like to love husband and love, love children. Men and women are different. It's not a news flash. At times, it can be hard to love your husband. Eventually, the shine will wear off in your marriage. The honeymoon phase, it will come to an end. The season will come when your husband will do something to disappoint you. There will be those moments when that sweet child of yours, who is high fives and puppy dogs and sunshine wrapped up in nine pounds six ounces, that little baby is going to start to grow up and you will be astounded at the source of tears, the source of frustration, the source of heartache that could come from someone so small exposing in your heart so much sin. What are you going to do in those moments? How do you love your husband in that moment? How do you love your children in that moment? Well, Paul says, go find Pastor John so we can pull out Gruden's systematic theology and set you down and show you according to... No, he didn't even say that. He says, find, find an older woman. Find someone who is moved beyond that season of life, who still loves her husband, who still loves her children, who still loves Jesus, who can stand as an example and go, Sister, I know exactly... What's going on in your world right now? And because you're over here drowning in the knuckleheadery of your husband and the pure and absolute frustration of your children in that moment, you think there is no hope for you right now. But I'm standing over here on the other side, having walked the valley of the shadow of death. I've come out on the backside and go, sister, there's hope in that moment. Paul says, deploy the older women in the church. Deploy the spiritual mothers who can point to Jesus and the grace he provides in those moments. Call on the mature women who have experienced these things and who stand as a witness of God's grace in their marriage and in their family. I love it because we have um, an example of a spiritual mother, a mature godly woman in our church, and it's Miss Jan Cheshire. If you want to see what it looks like to be a mature woman of God who still loves her husband, I would recommend you cast your gaze upon the way Jan loves her husband. There's two recent examples that just recently brought, brought this to mind. One um, is at ISI. Yesterday we were at Iron Sharpens Iron, and towards the end, Tom, what he does is he brings up his family, and he gives honor where honor is due. Tom's no fool. He knows the jewel of his crown is that woman sitting right next to him. He honors her, not because she is just her. He honors Jesus in her. He dotes on her. He cares for her because he sees Jesus in her. And she, in turn, reciprocates. She loves her husband. And it was just manifestly evident when she was standing up there next to her husband 
the way that they gave a little hug and the way that they just were there showing all the men, the almost 1,000 men, like this is an example of what it looks like to be a spiritual mother in this moment, a woman who loves Tom after all these years. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Tom, but my assumption is you messed up along the way some. You haven't made it easy, my man. Once, okay? So that one time that you were the knucklehead husband, I think that Paul is implying here, what you have is this truth. What does it look like to still do this? The other illustration is this. The pastors get together. We get together on the first Monday and the third Monday of um, every month so we can get together, give ourselves to the Word and prayer as we seek God, as we seek to lead you guys. And like clockwork, this happens. Somewhere around 7, 30, 8 o'clock, you hear the door, the door open, the garage door, I think, closes. You hear a couple of pots and pans tinkering around. And what happens inevitably is Miss Jan Cheshire comes walking around down the steps, and she makes a beeline to her husband. She bends over, and she plants a big old one right on Tom. Now, the first couple of times it happened, I'm also like, ooh. But I'm like, after a while, I'm like, man, forget this, man. I'm like, I'm watching, man. I'm like, you're going to do it in front of me. I'm just going to sit here and check it out. But here's the thing. When I become their age... What I need to know is that it is still possible to love my wife and for my life to love me at that age. What's the example that we see most often in our culture? It's this, coexist. There's just two warm bodies coexisting in a home. There's no love. Love's been lost and forgotten a long time ago. There's no genuine affection. There's no genuine love for maybe a mom for her children. And so what I need to know as a 36-year-old is, is it possible to still be so in love with Jesus that Jesus then informs the way I can love my wife and love my children? Is it still possible for my wife, when she becomes that age, to go, I am still so in love with Jesus that I love my husband and I love my children? Paul says, find some older women who are exhibiting this well. And I think we have a perfect premier example in Miss Jan Cheshire. Paul continues on. What does he move on to beyond older women training younger women to love their husbands and their children? He says, be self-controlled and be pure. It's the same idea that we've been talking about earlier for the older men and older women. This older woman, she is consumed by God's grace. She has been saved, reconciled to her God because she is trusting in Jesus Christ alone and what he accomplished on the cross Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 tells me that now the Holy Spirit is living in this woman. It's, he is the sign and the seal that she has been reconciled to God. And so now what do we have? We have a woman who is exhibiting self-control in her life, a fruit of the Spirit. So she's to come alongside and go, listen, young lady, let me show you what self-control in your life looks like. Let me show you what purity looks like. And I think Paul dropped these behaviors right here in this list for a reason. Because listen, if you have children, then there's a pretty decent chance you're a sister in Christ who knows the need for self-control when your children are acting up. And if you have a husband, then there's a more than decent chance that you know the need for purity when your husband is acting up and you're not thinking the purest of thoughts towards him. And so Paul says when it comes to a woman living out God's design for her life in the realm of family and marriage, self-control and purity are something she's going to just need an example in how to live and think and do. So again, Paul is just simply calling for the ripple effects of godliness to do its work in a young woman's thoughts and actions. 
And he continues on. He says, listen, it's also this. Older women train the younger women to be those who work at home to be those who are kind. Working at home and kind. Now, at first read, this is probably the first phrase where you're like going, what's this one about? It's the eye raiser. Okay? And the list of six behaviors, this one and the one about submission, are the two that are like giant flashing red lights. Like, oh boy, that's what I thought. That chauvinistic, patriarchal Paul trying to foist superior and inferior ways of thinking from those ancient days on modern man and modern woman. Like, right? Our mind starts to spin out in this way. But in answering this question, this idea of what does Paul mean... When he says that young women are to be trained to work at home, in answering this question, we need to be careful not to impose modern debates about women's roles on our interpretation of these words. Like, I, I don't think Paul had in mind concerns about career women or mothers in the secular workplace when he wrote this. I don't think he's talking about, like, the power woman, the, C, the female CEO, as the concerning pressure of his day when he's addressing the people of Crete. Like, right, my argument is that career women, mothers in the secular workplace, whatever it might be, like, my argument is that Paul is not against these things. And to sit here and try to use this verse as an absolute command for women to stay at home is to miss the point and abuse the verse. Because some people want to do that. They want to look at this and go, okay, older women train younger women to work at home. So then they, they look at female humanity and they split them in half ago everyone working at home these are the people obviously in accord with god's design in their lives and every woman working outside of the home are obviously the ones in sin you're you're imposing something on the text would be my argument there you're missing the point to somehow foist upon god's people this as an absolute command like, right, this isn't so much about wives and mothers in the workplace as it is about an attitude of the heart. That's what Paul's driving at. The emphasis is not on the location of a wife's work, but it is on a wife's attitude toward God's design for her marriage and for her family. Think about this. When you go back into, into Titus chapter 1, what you had were the teachers there, the false teachers in Crete, who had loosened their grip on God's grace. They were supposed to be the leaders who had been transformed by God's grace, who were clinging to God's grace, but in their decision-making, at some point in time, they said, forget this. I'm loosening my grip on God's grace. I'm not going to cling to and live out God's design for me as a teacher. And they were not, obviously, an example to follow. I think the same principle is being carried over here. God has a design for women, a certain role to play. That when God's grace grips them, they will behave in a certain way. And so if your attitude is this, God has crafted me in his goodness and in his grace. He has called me to be a, a woman who loves and nourishes and cares for her family and cares for her husband. If I look at that and go, I don't agree with that. I don't like that. I don't want that. I don't care what God has to say about that. I'm going to loosen my grip on it, and I'm going to give myself wholeheartedly over to my career and to just rising the ranks of financial pay and all those sorts of things. I think that's where Paul comes in and goes, listen, the attitude of the heart is off here. The attitude of the heart is off here. Because God has saved this woman 
she is now truly content in Christ. Her identity is no longer anchored to a career or a high-paying financial package because her identity is now anchored in Jesus. So in the end, whether she is a career woman or a full-time homemaker is not really the point. Because she has been transformed by the power of God's grace, she simply now finds delight in loving her husband and children and not neglecting them. In short, she is a grace-fueled woman who exhibits the kindness of Jesus as she finds great joy in God's design for her and being a woman who works at home, being a home lover is another way you can translate that idea, loving her husband and loving her children. Lastly, Paul just shifts to the admittedly second hard phrase. That younger women are to be trained to be submissive to their own husbands. And here again, what we have to do is just pump the brakes a little bit and ask, what does this mean and what does this not mean? Okay? Now, it's important to clarify what Paul means when he says that a wife is to be submissive to her husband. Here's what it does not mean. What it does not mean when Paul writes this is that a husband is permitted to have a me-dictator, you-doormat mentality. Some husbands read this verse, and that's the conclusion they draw. I'm the one who's in charge. I'm the dictator. I'm obviously superior. You're obviously inferior. You are to submit to me. That gives me the right to foist upon you this sort of dictator-doormat relationship there. And that is not what Paul is saying. The call for submission does not give any husband the right to be unfair, selfish, or abusive. So if you're a husband here today and you are operating in a dictatorial autocratic, leading kind of way in your home, then you are a sinner. You're in sin. And you need to repent. You're not being Christ-like in your leadership. You're being satanic in your leadership. Abusive, dictatorial men are not following in Jesus' footsteps. So when Paul is saying, what does it look like For young women to be submissive to their own husbands. He's not saying that this is just the all out right for husbands to be unfair, selfish, or abusive. Also, it does not mean that a wife is to suppress her intelligence. To suppress her talents. To suppress her gifts. I mean, let's face the fact. Like, husband, you're not smart. And your husband, and your your wife is crazily intelligent. She's far surpassing you in this category. She's the gifted one in the home. She's the one with the talents. So when wives submit to their own husbands, it does not mean that a wife is somehow to suppress her intelligence, suppress her talents, suppress her gifts. Nor is she to just blindly follow her husband into unbiblical, illegal, immoral behavior because she is, quote, to be submissive to her husband. That's also what it does not mean. But what it does mean is that as a husband so loves his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, he creates an atmosphere of sacrificial love in his home. She then willingly goes and says, man, I find great joy in submitting to this husband. Like, listen, the call for a young woman to be submissive to her husband, it's a two-way street. Notice what follows right on the very tail end of verse 5. 
It's the call for young men to be self-controlled. So the idea is this. God's grace grabs a hold of a man. And he's now no longer selfish, but he has self-control by God's power and God's grace in him. He's no longer living in a way to where it's, I'm going to use you to please me. I'm going to do this for me. I'm going to do this for me. I'm going to do this for me. It's all about me. I'm the dictator. I'm the autocrat. No, what happens when God's grace grabs hold of a man, it begins to do something in him. It begins to conform him to the image of Christ so that when he goes into his home, he leads like Jesus, creating an atmosphere in the home to where the woman comes along and goes, man, I've got me a Jesus man. And I love him. And I love my children because of the atmosphere he's created in the home. I delight to be self-controlled, pure. I delight to love my husband, love my wife, not neglect them. I delight to be kind and Jesus-like in this way. I delight to submit to his Jesus example of leadership in the home. The call for a woman to... Be submissive to her own husband, notice. Not every husband, but submissive to her own husband. It's the backside of the coin that comes alongside with the same grace-centered command for the young men to be self-controlled. And see, when all of this starts to take place inside the church, when older men are exhibiting grace-fueled behavior that imitates Jesus because they've been saved by Jesus. When older women who've been transformed by God begin to exhibit a behavior that looks like Jesus, when young women who've been saved by grace begin to walk in a manner that shows they have been saved by grace, when younger men who have been ransomed and redeemed because God has saved them, begin to walk in a way that examples Jesus. And as it relates to self-control, there's just something very compelling about this. Something very compelling about God's design and the way it relates to older women training younger women. So when you come down to the end of the verse 5, Notice something. Notice the so that of submission. There's a purpose. Do you guys see it there in verse 5? This isn't Paul just ripping off a laundry list of stuff like, oh, I mean, I guess you got to do something, Titus. So you might as well just tell women to submit to their husbands and might as well just tell young guys to be self-controlled because ah, who knows why. That's not the reason. Look what he says there in verse 5. Older women train younger women to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, so that the word of God may not be reviled. So that the word of God may not be reviled. Or to put it positively, so that the word of God would be praised or championed as a result of your grace-fueled behavior. So see, we see that the submission of a wife to her husband... It is not a superior versus inferior relationship. Instead, we see how grace-fueled submission actually results in the progress of God's mission. 
Do you see what Paul is doing? He's basically saying this. When a wife, fueled by God's grace in her life, lives out God's design for her in the realm of family and in the realm of marriage, there's something winsome about that picture that screams, Jesus has saved me. God's grace has transformed me. And people on the outside looking in and go like, what? How do you love that guy? How is it even possible that you react to your children in this way and you show Jesus in your word and speech and those become those moments to where you don't go, well, it's because I'm phenomenally good at being a wife and I'm obviously the premier example of how to care for children. <laughs> we don't do that. In those moments we go, uh, Jesus has saved me. Like I'm not doing this because I'm so great. I'm doing this because I'm so dependent upon God. And in that moment, Paul's just saying, when you operate in this way as a woman, living out God's design for you as a woman, fueled not by your power, but by God's grace in you, the result is this. The word of God becomes championed by your behavior. She finds herself glorifying God and enjoying him because of God's grace in her life. Ultimately, she just understands this little poem to be true. I heard a pastor just say this poem the other day, and it was, it was really, really good. It, I mean, it exemplifies the point here really well. She understands this to be true. The poem goes like this. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by deeds that you do, by words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? And what it comes down to is this. That this young woman delights to submit herself to God's design for her life. Because she sees that somehow in God's grand plan... That when she lives out a grace-transformed life, God delights to use her as a bullhorn proclaiming the good news of God's grace. And it's the same for the men when they walk in a way that is in accord with grace-fueled behavior. So as we go about our week, my prayer for us is that we would truly be witnesses to God's saving grace in our lives as our behavior lines up with our gospel belief glorifying God as the men and women that God has called us and designed us to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray that you would sanctify us by your truth. God, I pray that the words that have just been communicated out of my mouth land with the intention of my heart. Father, where I have misspoken, God, would you take those words and then you just remove them where truth has been rightly delivered. God, I pray that you would transform us and conform us to the image of Jesus. We need your help in this way. And it's by your great power we ask that you would come and fuel us, equip us, empower us to walk in a way that brings you much glory this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen.